Welcome to the Matthew Moran podcast. Here I sit down and talk with some of the best photographers, writers, editors, designers, and publishers working in the visual arts. These conversations will give you an insight into the lives of creative professionals and industry experts, and it is a chance to hear their story and personal journey in a rapidly changing, highly competitive, but hugely exciting field. I've had the pleasure of working with many of my guests over the years and have learned so much from spending time with them, not just working together on projects, but having conversations about what it means to be a creative freelancer, sourcing exciting projects, sharing skills through partnerships, and not losing sight of your goals and dreams. This podcast is my chance to share these stories with you. So sit back, relax, and enjoy. Part two of the podcast on tour in Bristol, and I met up with photographer Sam Hobson at his home on a cold night in February. Sam has lots to say. He's a great talker, not just about photography, but his passion for storytelling with his images. He is also renowned for shooting engaging and intimate photographs of familiar animals such as foxes, herons, and even pigeons in the urban environment. His work is widely published in magazines such as National Geographic and BBC Wildlife, and notable press features in The Guardian, Telegraph, and Evening Standard. He's won numerous awards in top photo competitions, including two in the Wildlife Photographer of the Year. You may remember his brilliant photo of a fox peeking its head over a wall, which the competition ran as its main publicity image back in 2016. Sam actually studied wildlife photography, which even though it seems logical if you want to be a wildlife photographer, is quite unusual among the nature photographer community. But he has fond memories of his time in Blackpool and learnt many of the fieldcraft skills he has applied to his photography today. In this episode, Sam offers an insight into his photographic thought processes and techniques, which are fascinating, and I'm sure very useful for anyone keen to hear what goes into capturing creative pictures. I know I certainly was, and the hour we spoke for flew by. So here it is. Enjoy. Welcome along, Sam. Hi, Matt. How are you doing? Good. I say welcome along. I'm in your house. Yeah. <laughs> this is part of... Uh, this is the Matt Moran podcast on tour. Um, I'm in Bristol now um, interviewing Sam, who's kindly given up his time twice. Actually, I kind of <laughs> w- was going to interview you yesterday and then kindly got invited to dinner and then uh, we never... Yeah, really didn't it? it just turned into dinner and wine. <laughs> um, Very romantic, isn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. Um, so yeah, thanks a lot. Really, really appreciate your time. Oh, and you know, this new new venture is exciting for me. And um, I've, yeah, you're you were a top, you know, in my top ten of people I wanted to. Okay, that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, for lots of different reasons. One is you know we're similar, similarly aged. You know, yeah. kind of going through the sort of similar struggles of trying yeah, to make yeah, it yeah. as nature photographers, living in cities, etc. Um, but actually, something I learned new about you yesterday, which I thought would be interesting to start off talking to you about was um, that you actually studied wildlife photography. I don't know anyone who's actually studied wildlife yeah, photography. Yeah, so it was, I think I'd moved out of London. I'd had a bit of a, you know, wild uh, teenage and early 20s sort of um, going off the rails a little bit and all that sort of stuff, as you do. Um, but, I, 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 you know, I'd always had this interest in wildlife photography um, and always thought, wouldn't it be great? to be a wildlife cameraman and all that sort of thing. And that's really sort of what I wanted to do. But 
I didn't really know how to go about it. And uh, I think in those days, we didn't have like social media um, and things like that. The internet basically wasn't as it is today. So widely used by everyone and, you know, everyone's contactable and all the rest of it. So, so I think, um, you know, whereas today you might just look at what other people are doing and contact them via their Twitter or their mm -hmm. Facebook page or whatever, and, you know, work out your way to, Get, uh, get in that way I mean back in those days it makes me sound really old but like writing people letters and stuff like yeah, that is what I you do I remember doing, doing that as like, well yeah that was how you got into um, it yeah so so I guess like um, I'd moved out of London I was living in the countryside and I was experimenting with doing a bit of wildlife photography like for the first time really presumably this was all on film um, yeah I was shooting on film I had this really dreadful experience where I'd like because film basically wasn't cheap and mm -hmm. if you were like, if you were like a poor kid, like like a roll of thirty six film and getting it processed and all that sort of stuff is like it adds up. I mean, this is a different conversation which I'd like probably to talk about. Um, that teaching you a lot of lessons with your photography, like having to make sure you get the exposure right or get the thing that you want in a limited amount of frames rather than blast off, you know, thousands. <laughs> sure. um, it taught me a lot of lessons. Um, but no, going, going back to that, um, I just, I just, I heard about this course. Um, it was in Blackpool actually. Um, and it was the only wildlife photography type degree course. It was a degree course. Yeah. And it, it was the only one in Europe basically. Um, wow. so I got to meet some cool guys from across Europe who'd come to Blackpool of all places, um, <laughs> to study wildlife photography. Um, but what, I mean, the great thing about it, I think was just devoting three years of your life to thinking, uh, thinking about you know your subjects thinking about just thinking about everything basically because you're in an environment um an academic environment yeah. where you're having good conversations with other like-minded people and um you, it it just gives you a, a, a big load of time to I, okay you, you can be a lazy student and you can get up to all sorts and you can leave things to the last minute but you know it's just having some sort of um, some sort of structure, I guess, where your thoughts are directed in a particular way. So, I mean, I really, I got a lot out of it. A lot of the other guys on the course um, weren't too happy, I guess, because they thought it was going to be a more of a, okay, this is how to be a wildlife right. photographer and this is how you do it and this is how you do it. It was, it was, it was more of a, you know, um, the art of, say, photography. So we had a photography teacher um and we had a biology teacher and it was sort of split half and half oh, nice so and was it very practical i mean would you learn things about field craft no but that's the thing it was almost left up to you yeah um to get out of it what you wanted so yeah there were there were i guess there were guys and technicians there that could help you um and you could hire out the kit from the you know not hire like it was free but you could loan out the kit um and they had like high speed flashes and things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I, th I, th I think some people struggled with it because it wasn't like this, this is how you technically go and do something. But sure. for people like me who are more into ideas and stuff like that, um, I, 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 
it, it was it was weird because I ended up sort of creating imagery which wasn't didn't really have much wildlife in it. Right. But because I got into the science of it all and um, communicating that science visually, I guess. Yeah. So I worked on like, I think I did my dissertation on like the evolution of human music as an indicator of like <laughs> genetic fitness or something like that. That's super broad. Yeah, well yeah, so like so like I was I was going on I was I was doing a wildlife photography course and I was like thinking about like how music evolved, you know, and writing writing theses on it and stuff like that. Um so so and yeah they were, they were open to that. They weren't like so Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. Student. Like I I got a first and like um I up like throughout my school life I never did any work and you know I never did any homework I actually managed to pass off somebody else's as my own <laughs> and handed in a whole year's project and just wrote my name and then up. did you think oh wildlife photography degree I won't have to do any homework <laughs> <laughs> well it was it was weird because it was the first time in my life basically that I actually wanted to try and get something out of it whereas at school I was always trying to get out of sure. doing things so yeah. So it's actually the first time I'd really used my brain in a sort of like pushed it and used it in an academic way um, and learned how to write because I was, you know, I was crap at writing mm-hmm. before that. I'd, all I'd, I'd written, I tell you, the only thing I'd really written is um, captions for wildlife images. Right. And um, I'd done that by looking at past winners of the Wildlife Photographer of the Year competition, seeing how they write those captions and then sort of copying that and I remember when I had the interview for the university I'd, I'd written these captions I was really pleased with it because it's like the first time I'd written anything I thought it was pretty good but yeah I mean um I lost my track a bit but I guess I guess I guess just you know um yeah university basically was a was a was a good thing for me because I was given a lot of freedom and it just gave me a lot of space to think about the ideas almost like a hub and like you say a place yeah. for people to to talk to people yeah like-minded be people being yeah. around and being able to bounce ideas off each other and having different ideas about things and different ways of doing things yeah. and 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 going through a process of change where you think this is what you believe and then right a couple of years later you're completely the opposite mm. um, and were you photographing in and around blackpool during that during those three yeah, years yeah actually like blackpool's not too bad um um, I grew up in London, so um, I, I always knew how to find wildlife in the city, basically. Yeah. Um, when I was a kid, like, my mum didn't really have much. She was a single mum, three kids, didn't, you know, had to work, like, two jobs and that sort of thing. So yeah. we just got left to, like, roam the streets, yeah. basically. <laughs> so, Feral children. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, like, I learned quite a lot that way about about animals in my neighbourhood and yeah. things like that. So, yeah, Blackpool, actually, although it's pretty grotty and pretty grim, um, it's coastal, so, you know, you just have to take a walk down the beach and under the pier there's all this, like, barnacles and sure. lichen and, um, you know, uh, all kinds of, like, um, stuff growing on the pier and there's, like, a starling murmuration mm-hmm. under the pier. and Wonderful. Um, and, um, and obviously there's, like, a inner-city parks where there's squirrels and there's a really good heronry there yeah. and foxes and that sort of thing yeah. and dead pigeons everywhere and, you know that sort of <laughs> thing and right up my street yeah but actually um as a location it was very close to a lot of cool stuff you know it's up it's, it's not too far away from the lakes sure. you know northern england and lancashire is actually really lovely mm. um, not too good to birds of prey but that's a different subject but um <laughs> 
But yeah, I mean, like, um, if one of us had a car, we could go out and, you know, like, there's lots of, there's lots of um, sort of coast up there with big mud flats and things like that. So lots yeah. of waders to watch. And my, my first experience with peregrines, really, you know, I've gone on to, like, become really interested in peregrines. My first real photography project uh, was with urban peregrines. Yeah. But, um my first experiences of them were there watching watching peregrines hunt um, massive like there was this place in Haysham I think there's 50,000 knot mm-hmm. um, which are you know small wading birds but they're flying around like you'd expect to see starlings wow. like, um, and peregrines just diving Dive into them and, and turning you know making all these crazy shapes and balls and um, as they fly through the sky to get away from these peregrines but also um there was a peregrine on the um, church in the town centre, which um, didn't really know how to go about photographing, but it was cool to like see it. And um, there's also a really big ro- roller coaster down on the Pleasure Beach, yeah. and the peregrine used to sit right, oh, right at the top yeah. on this roller coaster. So, yeah, it was, it was it was all right. Blackpool was difficult to live in for three years. <laughs> Just because it's so depressing, um, <laughs> and like every weekend, stag do's and head do's yeah, and fights and that sort of thing. But um, but yeah, there were there were nice things about it's it. It's funny, isn't it, when you think about you know some nature photographers growing up in I don't know like the west coast of the United States or yeah 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 you know, Vancouver, East Island, Africa yeah exactly. Like and you're 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 you know that didn't put you off. No 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 no. <laughs> but I mean that was well, it. sounded like it toughened you up as a wildlife photographer. Yeah, it did, yeah. and I and I think I think like. I think that gave me a good grounding in storytelling sort of image, thinking about the concept behind the image and what it is you're trying to say yeah. rather than just going out and snapping willy-nilly. Like, what am I going to do now? I know, I'll do frogs. I'll go and focus on frogs. Like, you had to think about why you're doing it and, um, you know, what you wanted to say about this species and how to communicate it and yeah. that sort of stuff. So, yeah, it gave me a good... And that's great. I mean, I think that's really good. One of the key things that I'm interested about this podcast is you know I get a lot of younger people asking me how do you get into it and I think that's absolutely the key is not just about trying to get banging photos individual pictures but getting a collection of images that tell a story and it's really a much better way of getting recognition that's 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 exactly my advice when somebody yeah like I, I have a lot of kids or young people emailing me and asking for my advice. I, I often don't have the time to... I've got, like, a f- list of flagged ones that I will reply to at some point. <laughs> He'll get back to you sometimes at some point. If if I, sometimes if I've got 30 seconds, I'll do it there and then and I'll get back. So if you catch me at the right time, fine. But, but yeah, I always say, don't try and be a jack-of-all-trades with your photography. Um, some people, I won't name names, but are just, like one-man image libraries sure. and you know if you shoot everything you'll end up having tons of mediocre pictures sure if you focus on one thing mm. and you know i use the example quite often of slugs or something like that slugs or snails are just something that's like so commonplace that it's ignored yeah and you do something really creative with that one subject and and be the first person to have 10 amazing images of slugs and they're accessible you yeah, yeah yeah you'll get you'll get them out all over the place mm-hmm. people, and like anybody wants a picture of a slug they know to go to the slug guy yeah. you know you'll get work that way um so yeah no i totally i totally it, think it being, is it's great advice i think yeah finding that niche is so important yeah. and yeah you've become really well known as 
a, a, a urban specialist. I don't know yeah. if you like well, that. Well, no, that's that's, that's fine. Like, but mm. I, well, I, I, I definitely think that that it's it's nice to have a little niche mm. because there are the people that do urban stuff, but they do a bit of urban, they do a bit of this or whatever, and I do that too. But like, if people see me as the urban wildlife guy, then then any time a book comes out about wildlife in the city or something like that, they might. Mm-hmm. contact me and say oh i know you take pictures of but animals in the city have you got anything you know it's 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 quite nice to have a little yeah niche but also it's like i don't like the term keeping it real but, <laughs> but basically if, if i if i i grew up in the city and i live in the city like i've lived outside of the city too I, you know i used to live down in devon and mm-hmm. again up in blackpool and a few different places um but i live in the city basically so my What's important for me is um, shooting what's around me. Um, like you were just saying about the slugs, it's accessible. Yeah. Um, so basically, if you can if you can work with something repeatedly, you're going to get more. You, your thinking is going to be better, and your photography is going to be more creative because you're revisiting that location, and then you're going home, you're looking at pictures, you're thinking, okay, how can I develop that? How can I get a better picture of this thing? What else can I try? Whereas you go on safari. You get, you get a chance to photograph something from Jeep, then you move on and then, you, you know, you might get a lucky picture, but you're not going to like, unless you live out there with those animals, you're not going to be like going back and trying different things. You're just going to be getting, you're going to be trophy hunting basically. Sure. Um, so for me, like, you know, working with what's local, you can, you can go out and it's five minutes away. And you can muck around with it. Some nights it works great. Some nights it doesn't great. Some night, some nights it's like raining, but you're five minutes away from like an episode of Game of Thrones or something <laughs> at home if that's what you're into. Yeah. Um, you know, it doesn't it doesn't matter, and it's like it's never time wasted because you're learning every time every time you go out. Basically, that's such yeah, that's such great advice. I mean, I I'm doing it more. Work, yeah. You know, I've, I've worked a lot locally, but. Um, you do need to be kind of reminded of that, especially when you, you know, we were talking about this last night in the whole kind of issue with social media. It's quite, it can be quite easy to compare when yeah, you're looking yeah. at other photographers yeah, that yeah, seemingly yeah. are doing yeah. amazing things in exotic places. But yeah. I think you're right, you know, it's why would you try and compete with, you know, go and get loads of shots of tigers or polar bears yeah. when it's being done, you know, yeah, you so can, fully. Like, and, that, and that, that's the thing, like a good picture of something, no matter what it is, is better than a mediocre picture of, of something more exotic. Yeah. And like, I'd rather have 10 good pictures of frogs than 10, 10 mediocre pictures of otters, you yeah. know? Like, like the otter would be a cooler thing to photograph if you could get some great pictures, but it's much more difficult. And, you know, again, that's why um, I, I, you know, I've been quite reassured in that being in Wildlife Photographer of the Year, two times both with really commonplace animals yeah. shot in the city yeah like it just goes to show that it's about photography it's not about the species or or whatever and if like a local fox poking his head over a wall can do as well as you know some camera trapped snow leopard or something yeah. like that then you know everybody's got a chance yeah that's nice it's kind of it sort of democratizes it yeah it does you're... it does if you're a kid going up in the city with just a tiny little crappy camera yeah you can you can still you know have a chance against yeah. like somebody with national geographic budgets who's on location for like six months or or whatever i mean going back to that that is that's what i was sort of um hinting at 
um, when I was talking about um, first my first sort of experience with wildlife photography and going back to the days of using film yeah. was that, um, again, um, not letting the fact that I didn't have access to uh, these exotic locations or that I didn't have the expensive kit or anything, don't let that stop me. And I mm -hmm. think that is a good thing, especially for young people to to understand that it isn't you can you can do wildlife photography with what you've got yeah um, and that could be what what you've got in terms of what animals are near you or with what kit you've got because i mean i started off like actually you can see it up behind me see that uh, yeah. little um nick on the second one in yeah it's like a, i just had a 28 mil lens um which was bog standard every yeah. photographer had a 50 mil and a 28 yeah. mil basically little war reporter style like you know film um, camera and you know I think it had aperture priority if right. I've had auto or whatever <laughs> but like the fact is I had a short lens I had basic kit and I was shooting on film yeah so how, how am I going to be a wildlife photographer with that kit um, you know like so that's when you start thinking about okay like if I need to get close to an animal what can I do like I learn about field craft, I learn about animal behavior and it really encouraged me to like, you know, watch animals and think about how to get close to them and, 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 and also be able to discern quickly which animal looks like he's okay with me being around. Yeah. And I think that's a, that's a skill um, that wildlife photographers sort of um, all have and it's, and it's, and it's knowing um, knowing if an animal is okay with them photographing sure. them, basically, and I and I, I guess I just got quite good at that. And um, you know, it's tired making me think about okay, do I have? Can I get a remote trigger and things mm. like that? But back in those days, you didn't have a radio wireless remote trigger. You yeah. had like you had like a bit of rubber <laughs> with an air pump on the end. So like you know, I'd <laughs> have a ten meter air pump. In. Yeah, yeah. you like squeeze the fucking air pump <laughs> as hard as you could to make it press the shutter, and it only worked very occasionally. But you know, like I think I think not having all the kit um, taught me a lot yeah. of lessons, which I still have and use today. Um, you know, like I, I don't have the best camera in the world. I have a very basic sort of like I use a Nikon D seven fifty rather than a pro Nikon sure. because it gets a little bit lower to the ground. It's right. got a flip up screen and stuff like that. Um, so, you know, it isn't it isn't about the kit. And I think sometimes for photographers, especially, you know, not casting aspersions about like um, kids being given all the gear or whatever but like sometimes a long lens if you've been bought all the kit straight away and you've got five lenses you never really get to know any of them very yeah, well because um, you're constantly wanting to change yeah well you're constantly wanting to change you you think that okay i need a long lens on to photograph that thing or whatever and it puts distance between you and the animal you know yeah. like it puts a barrier almost between yeah you and the animal so 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 yeah i think i think like sometimes restricting what you get, what you've got or what you use. I mean, I even encouraged a guy, um, I was doing some freelance work and there's this guy asking me about um, what lens to get. And I told him to get 50 mil yeah. and just use that until you like really struggling and you're fed up with it. Yeah. And then that's when you'll start being creative sure. with it. And like you'll, you'll 
because you'll be fed up with seeing everything in 50 mil, I think, but you'll really get to know that lens. And then that's the time to buy another lens because you'll be thinking, actually, I'm gonna go a bit wider, or actually, I wanna get a bit closer or whatever. So. That's great advice. And it kind of, it resonates with me as well, what you were saying earlier about film and, and, and that kind of preciousness that you had, you know, when you put that roll in, yeah, yeah. 36 yeah, shots. Yeah. So yeah. You, know, you can't I, take a picture and look at the back of the screen. No, you couldn't. <laughs> and also, you know, sometimes, you know, I run these workshops on Hampstead Heath and with my participants, I say, you know, imagine yeah. if I gave you all two rolls of film yeah you know you'd have 72 pictures yeah yeah you know you got like three four hours to photograph you'd certainly think about the picture yeah, a lot yeah, more yeah totally totally and, and, you'd, and you'd think about light exposure you know all that sort of stuff you couldn't just whack the iso up you had you had a set iso film um so you know you, you often like if you wanted really nice colors and stuff it'd be like 50 yeah fifty iso 50 and like imagine yeah like <laughs> You have to take a certain, do a certain type of photography with a. You can't do like fast moving subject in like low light with no, fifty eyes. Okay, forget it. Okay, forget so, it. Um, yeah, that's amazing. But yeah, moving on from that, I mean, um, you know, we talked a lot about film in your early days, studying, and then that transition. Um, had that already? What what years were you at um, uni? Had that already? I happened? don't. I'm really rubbish yeah. with years. But basically, this is a long time ago. <laughs> this is like um, I'm I'm coming up. I'm like thirty eight. Think now, around that anyway. You're not that um, old. You can't remember your age. <laughs> no, I, uh, I haven't remembered it since like 32. I think I thought I was 30, 32 when I was 33, and I lost a year of my life and realised one evening, like, oh no, like I thought I'd have done all this stuff by the time I was 32. So yeah, I think I, it would have been uh, early 20s. So I, I, it was a bit later than normal people go. Not normal people. Yeah. Straight out school kids go to uni yeah um, so I guess I probably would have been 21 22 yeah so kind of I mean were there any kind of murmurings of digital photography when you were at yeah there was there was college. one guy who was an older more mature student he was he was like probably a similar age to I am now um who who had invested in I think it was a Canon like 500d or something right. like that it was it was a decent um, it was pretty basic, yeah. Pretty, um, but it was a decent digital camera. It took a while but, for it to kind of take over. Yeah, he, he was he was the only one shooting on digital, and everyone else was shooting right. on film. And it really it 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 was really hard to compete with um, guys with long lens type stuff when you had a budget long lens yeah. and you were shooting on film and you had a camera which with crap autofocus and stuff like that. that even the most basic cameras these days. Autofocus works great. You know, it's all like it's all much easier basically. Yeah. But um but yeah, digital was just coming in and um I guess it's the first I guess it was the first time like it was easy to like get stuff scanned and I mean that's what we used to do. We used to scan images and then put them into Photoshop yeah. and do a few little tweaks sure. or whatever, but there's no digital processing. Yeah. Uh, and do you remember when you switched and did you did you kind of avoid it at first or did you take so, to it quite so, quickly? So basically I I I went through a, a long period of not shooting wildlife. So I didn't I didn't really start shooting wildlife again until I guess seven around seven years ago. Right. So there was a gap between mm. between um, college. Yeah. So after, oh, sorry, u- university. After university, I so- I'd sold the kit that I had because I had no money, basically. <laughs> um, and then I didn't pick up a camera for years and years. Like, yeah. So like went through um, like my late 20s and early 30s um, working um, 
in post-production so doing retouching and photography and um you're still in the field but just not taking the yeah pictures. So, no i was more in a dark room right uh like like working on other people's images so i got to work with loads of big photographers oh, um so actually like it developed my eye as a photographer uh-huh. so because i was i was working on working on on say an advertising campaign with somebody and they they'd want to know how to shoot something for for post-production so like you know i'd advise them on the best way to go about shooting and stuff like that and be there throughout the whole process of like conception to execution i guess Mm -hmm. um so yeah working with a bunch of different photographers and also young photographers who wanted to get into the sort of advertising world and wanted to you know wanted me to do something with their images um to help them look a bit more commercial or, or, or whatever um so basically that that Working in that industry, I, I, I always like had it in the back of my head that at some point I'm gonna I'm gonna get a camera and do do this myself. Um, but um, it was it was it was in a way it was frustrating because I wanted to be shooting, um, but it was it was a circumstantial thing basically. I I, I moved I moved to London um, quite shortly after. Um, university i had to get out of home basically i moved back to devon where my folks were and right. like you know it just wasn't working and so i had to so i moved in with um, my wife who you met um, yeah. tina in a small flat in london and that was the only sort of photography related job i could find and it was a, it's a good career you know and it's actually you know i'm 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 coming back to it slightly now yeah. just just to just to basically um have an extra income stream um on top of the wildlife photography because yeah. as you well know it's not a big earner sure. and sometimes you almost want a bit of a financial boost so you can shoot your projects you want to shoot yeah you know? yeah because yeah. <laughs> if you're trying to make money whilst like you know doing a big project um it can be it can be really really quite tricky it is um, yeah for sure and then, I mean, one of the things that, um, you know, it's been a, a real kind of revolution, other than obviously the move from film to digital, isn't it, is the move from stills cameras to these, the capability of these cameras shooting video. And I yeah. don't know if you've dabbled in that much. or No, I, I mean, I did, when I first moved to Bristol, I, I moved out of London like eight years ago or something like that. I mean, moved to Bristol and that was like, I decided then, right, okay, I'm going to, try and make a bit of a go of it I'm going to get some I'm going to I'd saved up some cash to get some decent kits so yeah. I, by that time I came back to it digital was you know quite advanced yeah you know, it, it wasn't in its early stages anymore um, so basically yeah then I did mess around with uh, you know I shot some stuff that's like been on the telly and stuff like that um, and like you know being one of the one of the decisions to move to Bristol was um because there's small production companies here and there's the BBC Natural History Unit and all that sort of stuff. So there is work for freelance um, cameramen. And I did sort of start to dabble with it. But then... Using digital SLRs? Yeah, yeah. using digital SLRs and GoPros and, you know, that sort of thing. Um, And then I think I just... Something didn't feel quite right about it. And... um, I just I, I experienced a world which I hadn't experienced in a while, which was quite a competitive world and um, sometimes quite a political world of like, you know, who's 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 like 
part of the in crowd at the BBC or whatever and like who's flavor of the month and this sort of thing and like this sort of I've been working I've been working for myself basically for a long time and like suddenly being involved in this competitive world like I was like you know what I'm not sure if I do want to be a part of that and I think that was when I made the decision to like do more with stills and like be a be you know be more interested in developing that I guess and yeah and storytelling with one image that's a still image is a lot harder than making a film but it's like it's a skill and if you've got that skill I think you know it's a good it's a good I mean trying to jam like you you, you've seen some of my pictures I do try and jam as much as I can (laughs) into like one shot if you know what I mean and like but it's great I mean and you've you know obviously you've worked so hard at that and the field craft and you know you've had some great successes in competitions and you know looking through your website you've Lots of work well, I think, published, I, and I think people can relate to it. Yeah, to it because because like what I what I what I realised quite early on was um, if you you can use context in a good in a, in a way to help you tell a story and to reach certain people. So you know, for example, a fox in front of the Bristol Bridge would resonate with people from Bristol. You yeah. know. But it also resonates with other people who don't know the bridge because it's it's a it's got the human environment in it and the city lights yeah. and things like that. So can I interrupt you, you and can you tell yeah. us a bit about that picture <laughs> <laughs> and how long that took you to get? And because it's um, an amazing picture. Well, actually, like I thought of it for a while, but I saw um, I saw somebody had shot um, got some trail cam fo- footage of bad badgers up in front of the bridge. Right. Oh, I can't remember her name now. Um, oh, this this sounds bad because I'd like to name check somebody. <laughs> Esther something. Oh, I, I don't know. I'm afraid. We'll we'll, we'll, remember, we'll put it yeah, up. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but she 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 made a film about Bristol and it had these badges in. And I've been thinking about trying to shoot foxes in front of the bridge for a while. But that was like, oh wow, badges up there. So I went to start investigating. But actually, um, the side of the bridge that the badges on wasn't that great for for a nice picture right. so so basically my first my first thing was finding a good location yeah um and one where hopefully foxes well yeah i mean the, the the thing i do is i have trail cameras so i've got about like eight sort of bushnell or yeah. whatever um trail cameras um and if i if i want to know if something's there it's easy because you sure. just go and stake at like two or three cameras and then leave them for for a week and then you come back and you know if we've got foxes there and you know if it's worth bothering with so and are you looking for kind of um like behavior that repeats itself you know foxes walking if there's a if there's a fox in an area then i mean you know you you basically you know because you'll see signs of like like trails basically um fox activity so you'll know if they're there but you the the bush noise for confirmation sure and then um what i well this place in particular i discovered after a while of going there um suddenly like these dreadlocked teenagers would come out (laughs) of the bushes with that with their bongos and like stinking (laughs) of weed and like you know yeah when um, you said you were going to leave cameras there you know my first thought was yeah it's it's quite a secluded spot yeah but um is known um by some people who like to go and like play a guitar and a bongo and like sounds pretty harmless yeah have a have a have a bit of a smoke but basically i think the fact that that is happening 
um, you know, they're probably leaving some munchies around because <laughs> it's dark, you know. Um, that's, that could be the, the reason the foxes are visiting. Just hanging out with the foxes. Yeah, because, you know, if, you, if, you, if, if, a, fo- if, you, if, there's, if a fox is going to find, like, some half-eaten packet of Doritos, then they're going to come and check there regularly, you know. So, um, so basically, um, yeah, finding a spot that's going to make a good picture is the first thing discerning like finding out basically whether or not there are animals there obviously but there weren't badgers there were foxes but yeah. there were regular foxes and um so for the first for the first i'd say like couple of weeks i was going there nearly every night and i was um i've I, I made like a case uh like a waterproof uh quite secure box to put my camera in um so it soundproofs it and it rainproofs it. So, um, I mean, as an aside to this, like I found that actually um, people people question like the use of flash and you know strobe lights um, in wildlife photography. Yeah. But in my experience, and I've got a fair bit of experience, so like you know, I feel confident in saying it that the noise of the shutter is is more shocking. To an animal, than a flash. Interesting. Uh, so, so if I, if I, and the thing is, these days with modern cameras, you, if you're on ISO, whatever, eight hundred or or higher, um, a flash has to be so low powered mm-hmm. that it's, you know, it's barely more than a like car's headlight glinting off a reflection That's of another car. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Or whatever. So, so I think an urban fox has probably got to put up with a bit more yeah, than exactly, just a flash. Exactly. They've got to put up with. St- junk students chasing them around <laughs> yeah. all night and um, being, but, being but, persecuted yeah yeah I mean people I've seen people like drive after foxes on <laughs> purpose and I was like what why why are you doing but, um, but yeah so so being in a soundproof box and having a low powered flash basically on that setup I had three three flash guns yeah um, with radio triggers so basically and they're all quite low powered so it's really quite subtle when the right. flash goes off and it's really not disturbing at all um but yeah yeah um it's 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 not necessarily just a shutter the combination of the shutter and a flash is quite shocking so i think if you can remove one um so the sound yeah. or or use natural light it's it's much more much less intrusive when you're um, doing close up wildlife photography um but yeah so that setup i had three flashes um i had a camera in a box and then that box padlocked and chained on this big heavy-duty chain around wow. a tree. And I'd also, um, this is a tip, I don't think many people do this in the world of wildlife <laughs> photography, but I, I sometimes shoot like I'm in a studio, um, so I have my laptop out and I have that tethered to the camera. So right. basically I'm using Lightroom or whatever um, to take the picture right. and then looking at it on my, so on my just, laptop you're hitting screen. the space bar as like a shutter uh, yeah so, so basically <laughs> you, you set up your shot and then you, you you basically you see on your laptop you don't have a viewfinder this big yeah you're getting a nice big you, you're seeing you're what getting it's a live look view like. basically yeah yeah, yeah. So, so so shooting that way you can set up uh, you can you can spend a bit more time refining yeah. the shot. Because that's um, what I was going to ask. You weren't directly behind the camera when you took that picture. That, that, yeah, uh, well, I I was, but um, not at first. So sure. at, first, at first, this was all set up and it was infrared. 
uh, trail master beams. Right. So th- this has got a transmitter and a receiver. Right. So it's quite an elaborate setup, yeah, basically. And, and, and you and you have to find you have to find sort of a location where they're going to cross the beam in the right place. Sure. And with that sort of shot. You've got to also make sure um, if you're if you're doing any sort of exposure that is longer than um, you know I don't know like I think that was like a sixth of no six seconds I think that exposure yeah so 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 if it's six seconds then you're gonna have a problem with ghosting sure um, so that's that's where you take a picture of the fox um, and then it moves but the camera continues to expose whatever is behind that fox sure so you get a ghosted image and it doesn't look very good mm-hmm. so you have to come up with some sort of angle where the whatever's behind the fox is pitch black ah. um, and then it doesn't continue to expose for that for the rest of that time um, so yeah so basically there, there are a lot of things and like with that shot like sometimes the bridge lights would just go off randomly <laughs> sometimes you know the stoners would be there yeah um, sometimes the tide would be like really low or really high because it's a tidal river right so it, it would look really ugly and mess up the reflections and there are just so many and sometimes like you know I wanted some cars driving on the on the um, yeah, some, light trails. some light trails so lovely. I wanted a slightly longer exposure so like you know having cars there at the right time Having the fox there at the right time, <laughs> having all the conditions be perfect, you know, like, I mean, I personally don't think that was the image I was hoping for. I was hoping for something better than that. Interesting. Um, but, you know, when I got it after being there for like a month and you like, unfortunately, you, you do start to get sloppy. If you if, if you if you if you're going up every night and you're setting up every night. And it's an elaborate setup. You're doing it quicker and quicker. Yeah. yeah, you're getting better and faster at it, and you remember all your settings and stuff like that. But you're not being as careful with you. you know, right. You know, you 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 got to check the sort of like it's dark, so you can't see what's going on, and you're trying to check your horizon straight. And you're trying to, <laughs> you know, all of these sorts of things, and you're trying to check there's no twigs in the poking into the frame and stuff like that. So you do get a little bit sloppy. But yeah, anyway, so so so, so couple of weeks at least of that. Yeah. Um, going up, going there early, early morning to retrieve the kit before it was daytime and people could see it basically. Um, and then going back and setting up again and waiting until like eleven at night. Then I know that there's nobody going to turn up now and um, you know walk off with my gear. Sometimes police helicopters would be out looking at me because yeah. there's like a guy threatening to jump off the bridge <laughs> or whatever. And like I was worried I was going to catch that on my camera trap. <laughs> you didn't want that. Um, but yeah, so I'm in a crime scene. Yeah, I know. Um, but yeah, there was a lot of things that could go wrong. But after a few weeks, um, two or three weeks, I'm not sure. Um, one night I was there a little bit late, and I was um, setting up, and I was chatting on the phone because I'd just gotten a bit sloppy, basically. And the fox just came out, and it came. I sort of tried to hide, like you know, be really still and hide, like in the shadows behind this tree. The fox just came straight over to me, looked up at me, like my camera bag was open, he just like had a sniff around, tried to grab like a lens or something and like run off with it. So so after that moment, I just, I knew it doesn't matter if I'm here or not here. So actually, right. I, I prefer I prefer to use a remote trigger yeah. than using an infrared beam right. because that way you can decide whether You're more or not, in control when yeah, it flies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so with a camera trap, if if a fox comes along and it's looking a little bit skittish, the camera trap's going to fire no matter what. Whereas if you think, okay, this fox isn't quite relaxed, I can wait. I can sure. I can watch it, and then 
you know, perhaps not take a picture straight away, mm -hmm. let it get used to my kit being yeah. there. And then next time it's in the area, yeah. take a picture. Um, so, so yeah, I, I decided to use the remote. And actually that was when I, when I um, saw how it behaved in that area. And actually it walked up that little ridge um, that it's on. It's like quite a sharp ridge. Um, and I just thought that's a much better shot. Um, so I'll, if I know that it walks up there, I'll set up there and I'll try that. Took ages. Yeah. <laughs> Every time he walked up that ridge, he'd have his like nose down, like sniffing around. So you've got loads, loads of others. I got that, yeah, I got that, a bunch of other pictures. I got yeah. tons of pictures of me testing <laughs> the setup. So it's just me like <laughs> uh, being a fox. But this is unbelievable. I mean, I ask you this question: is you've been very generous with your, you know, all your all your your secrets, and I kind yeah. of feel like a bit of a cheek. So I'm thinking, oh, actually, oh. this is really interesting. Yeah. This is for the listeners, but I'm getting all these tips. Well, the thing is, like. Anyone can work out how to do it. It's actually investing the time in doing totally. it, and yeah. and even like getting the right kit to go do it. It's sure. not like a easy thing. So not like you know, I mean, the the problem is, you know, someone for someone else to try it. Like hopefully, it's a difficult enough thing that they they go on their own journey to get there. Mm. What I don't like is people just copying what you do yeah. and doing it badly. Um, like if because you know how you've come to that picture because it's been your own personal journey yeah and some, some other people want to get to the end yeah. without going on that journey and i just think you know it's 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 you you'll, you'll be a much better photographer and you'll um, take much better pictures if you have that you know failure and you, you know all, all that all that sort of stuff but yeah fi finally just just quickly so yeah. i can finish um yeah the lot the that actual picture I'd seen him walk up that ridge like perhaps two times in two weeks or Incredible. whatever. Incredible. And then he did it this night and like the clouds weren't perfect, but everything else was all right. And the I just... bridge lights were on. Yeah, the bridge lights were on. And I, I waited until just like the right moment and just made this little sort of noise. Yeah. Just so his head would look up and took the picture then like, and that was the only time I managed to get a shot of him looking up towards the camera so, yeah. well maybe we can um, if it's alright with you put that picture up in yeah, your yeah, podcast sure. page because it's, it's a brilliant story behind the picture and unbelievable yeah. Amount yeah, of effort yeah, and yeah. field craft that goes into it. So that's it's fantastic. good fun, though. You know, it's yeah. good fun and it's good learning experience. Yeah, and it's, you know, you really get to know your kit and um, yeah, you have and, to in, set and, up and every time you're going like. out, it's that kind of unknown. That's what I love about yeah. it. You just don't, you know, you can't control it. You don't know what you're going to get. And it's, I mean, actually, I was, there was a there was oh, there was a woman who was um, wanting to make a film about about foxes um and it's um, i think it's called like a fox's tail or this canadian woman uh -huh. and she'd come over and i said i'd help her out and she was she she wanted to try and get the bridge shot mm -hmm. but um on film and so i was helping this cameraman um try and try and set it up and get it get it lit right so mm -hmm. so we could get the fox with the bridge in the background it's actually more difficult in film i think because you can't use a flash and then do a long exposure. Sure. So, you know, you need yeah. to like light things so that, I mean, it's, it's possible. It's just a different set of skills. Um, but we were there um, like sometimes like, cause we, we were trying to get it shot in like three days. So we were there like sometimes seven or eight hours wow. just like waiting. Um, so he could trigger the camera using his iPhone. Right. Um, he had like a big battery pack for Sony cameras and, the, and, the, and his iPhone is quite a good setup actually. But we were there one night, and the tourniel 
landed in exactly that no. same position that um, the fox was in in my picture. Yeah. And like, that would have been an awesome picture. Yeah. And, you do, and you do never know, like, these things. Like, you could just, like... Unfortunately, we did. We missed the shot um, yeah. because, like, I don't know, I don't think we were quite ready and quite expecting anything to turn up just yet. And suddenly out of the darkness, like, this, you don't hear a fox shuffling in the bushes. And suddenly it's no, just an owl just... in front of you and it's just, like, a, an amazing... <laughs> Scene with the Bristol Bridge behind it and yeah. all that sort of stuff. It's so. the, it comes to the, to the classic phrase: "The more I practice, the luckier I get." Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that is yeah. brilliant. So we will slowly wrap things up here. I just wanted to ask you quickly about um, nature photography as a tool for conservation, because you know, as well as doing urban stories, you've been out and you did that lovely feature on gannets and. You know, you call yourself also a conservation photographer, and I wonder yeah, I what of, your your feelings are about. I don't know. I think I think it's just that on my email sign off sort of <laughs> thing. But I'm, I sort of just there's a lot of terms now these days that people. I think people are somehow ashamed of being a wildlife photographer. Like, you know, they're like, I'm a I'm a I'm a conservation photojournalist or yes, something like yeah. that. It's just like you're, you're a wildlife photographer. <laughs> Um, but no, it's there's a different. I think it's just explained to people that you are trying to tell more of a story, and um, you're not just taking pretty pictures of animals. Yeah. But I mean, I definitely think that it's all interlinked. So you don't have to be shooting, um, you know, a harrowing conservation story to be a conservation photographer. Because what I was saying to earlier i'm not sure i finished because i was waffling um i'm not sure i finished my point but um basically choosing to to shoot in the urban environment um like i do um there's a lot of ugliness in the city so you have to find a way to make that aesthetic it's, it's clutter basically you go out into a lovely field and shoot some roadie you're not going to get this ugly stuff like you know so it's a challenge to try and shoot stuff in an urban environment in an aesthetically sort of ple pleasing way sure. without it looking you know things looking in congress or whatever um but also um you know by using by using the environment and using the sort of street furniture it helps people to relate to your image in a way that they don't always like if you show somebody a, a photo of like a endangered species in the middle of nowhere it's got no relevance to their daily life at all you show somebody a deer in front of a bus stop mm -hmm. they're like oh wow yeah. like i've sat at the bus <laughs> sat at the bus stop loads of times like i wonder if a deer was there like half an hour ago or whatever you know if they're like flicking through facebook and they see like a picture of a deer and in walking down a street then it's like it's it's got relevance to them of course and, you know, 80% of people in, in the UK and the US um, live in cities, you know. So sure. It's a much bigger demographic. And they're the people we've got to convince to care about the planet and care about wildlife and all that sort of stuff. So, so showing them something that's more relevant to them, that they can actually sort of, um, you know, engage with and, and think, oh, I've, I've seen this before mm. or I, I live in a place like this. Maybe, you know, there is wildlife around mm. us that, like... Getting people to care about what's on their doorstep is almost like the gateway yeah. to getting them to care about wider issues. Because if you don't give a shit about the pigeons or the foxes in your neighbourhood, then you're never really going to yes. make that leap into thinking about, you know, actually, am I affecting 
wildlife or what effect am I having on the planet and you know my decisions what I consume and things like that what if, so I think actually like just doing something like urban wildlife photography although it doesn't appear to be conservation type photography you're reaching a demographic that like you know are the ones that you're not preaching to the converted basically yes. um, preaching to the choir or whatever and I, and like that's why I, I'm not sure if it was you and me discussing about publishing in the Daily Mail oh yeah that's but, right. <laughs> but basically I pushed to get my that Gannett feature in the Daily Mail yeah, well they pay the most well they do they pay pretty well if you work with them directly right. this is a tip for photographers who use um, news agencies like try and always work directly um, with a newspaper because they pay you about five times as much um, <laughs> although but, we, we, we won't knock the picture libraries because they do they do they do, they do, they do, do a no, good you, job yeah you have like you know both you and I uh, represented by Nature Picture Library and they're great yeah um, they're great because they have guys who are working there or whatever who will like work with you and encourage you to shoot a particular story which they think they can push Absolutely. out. Absolutely, yeah, they're very like active so, like that, which is great. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but they're, they're not an easy agency to, to get in with. Um, you know, I'm not sure if you did, but I, I certainly had struggles convincing them that I was worth... Took you know, a while, yeah, it's the same, definitely, so, yeah, it took a while. But it's good It's good to have, have, have representation by a good agency. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, they, they definitely have their place in that, like, you'd shoot a series... And you're not going to just give that straight to stock. You try and do your thing with it. Yeah. And then you give it to stock when that's run its course. Yeah. Um, so so before I gave the images to Nature Picture Library, and I also um, let Wildscreen use them because they actually helped me with the funding for this project, the Gannett project. Um, so, so, so basically, I wanted to get it out in the Daily Mail because the very fact that if I get it out in the Guardian or, mm-hmm. or, or a wildlife magazine, mm-hmm. like, everyone already knows about marine plastics. Everyone already, like, cares about saving the planet and saving wildlife. Those Daily Mail people, um, I mean, I'm making a sweeping statement here, <laughs> but they're probably less likely to know about these issues that are going on. And, like, the, 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 the poignant thing about the Gannett story is that it's people think of like the problems of marine litter okay it's in the public awareness a bit more now because of the hard work everyone's been doing absolutely yeah but um but 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 yeah i mean um like people think of marine litter as a problem that's happening somewhere on the other side of the planet basically and this is an island a couple of miles off the coast of wales and there's like birds like strangling and dying basically oh, yeah. because I mean, of all this marine litter the story's great some of the images you took were really powerful yeah it's and, and kind of hard doing that yeah it is it is hard but um and and the other thing about it is it's hard to like get access to those stories because those guys go out there and they want to create the, the minimum of disturbance of course so they're only going out there once a year for like four three or four hours so right. that's all you've got you can't go back and shoot it and like um you know, I'd my my camera like on the day before it, I, my camera wasn't working, so I had to borrow a camera. Oh my god! And um, it wasn't it wasn't the best camera in the world. Um, so I mean, I, I had I had my second body, which is fine, but my main my main camera um, just wasn't working, so I had to borrow something, and it, and it wasn't as good. And I think like I entered that into a couple of competitions, and and I think um, I heard from one of the judges saying afterwards about how the, the quality of the file wasn't up to right and that was basically if if i hadn't have borrowed that camera i wouldn't have shot it basically yeah. it wouldn't have happened so 
so yeah so yeah going back to like the idea of conservation photography i do think it's incredibly important for us to tell um the stories about the wildlife that we work with um i think it's almost our responsibility to do that but you don't have to basically just be telling these conservation stories that are the hard-hitting ones just like increasing awareness of um, wildlife and nature in general yeah it's, you're doing just that's as a really good point particularly good. for people in cities that you know are yeah. just are, are not so engaged they're, yeah they're just they become disconnected and, and wilderness is somewhere that you go to yeah 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 what wildlife and nature is recreation something for recreation it's not something that's part of your daily life basically so yeah you go somewhere else to experience and you go out into the countryside to look at nature um then you like you know put up pigeon spikes in and and, like mouth traps and everything where you live you know Um, did you see that story recently of the pigeon spikes on the trees yeah it was in bristol it was in bristol that's right yeah yeah it was just it was just up in clifton that's Uh, right yeah so yeah pigeon spikes not on a building on a tree so like (laughs) pigeons aren't allowed in trees i think that was jennifer garrett and um it's actually like a really good network of um, nature sort of aware people in Bristol. So, yeah, I mean, this is a really good place to sort of get those sort of stories yeah. out. Out, um, You know, people are already sort of tuned in a little bit more than they are, say, in yeah. certain other cities. So. But that's great. Yeah, I think it's, it's such a good point. And it all, like you said, you know, very early on, it does start with kind of engaging particularly urban kids or people that are interested in photography from a young age to do it on your doorstep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And And I encourage, a couple of years back, actually the year that my parakeets got in the 50th anniversary wildlife photographer of the year, um, the urban category category, um, had been removed that Mm -hmm. year. And I think the competition organisers felt that um, the images brought the whole, the competition as a whole was very strong photographically but the entries that came in in the world, urban wildlife category weren't necessarily it's notoriously unsubscribed yeah yeah so so um so they re- removed the category that year and like it made, made me quite i mean luckily i got in in the birds category right but i might yeah. have won the urban category yeah you never know. yeah <laughs> um but um but yeah basically it's i i i spoke to the organizers and i like you know i sort of explain to them my thoughts on that and really try to encourage them to bring it back because yeah. because of kids growing up in inner cities or whatever so really who don't point. have money they don't they're not going to go on safari like if they think that the you know getting in that competition is beyond them um you know you're just picking up another, another barrier that they have to compete with people with national geographic budgets that go off for yeah. six months you know and these kids just never going to have that so if they can shoot something in the back garden using their older siblings or their dad's camera or whatever then and get into the competition and you know it's somewhere to start isn't it yeah absolutely yeah Yeah, it's just encouraging to know that it's a possibility whereas you remove the urban category and yeah you can still shoot urban wildlife but it depends yeah. on the judges they might have a thing against it like if there's an urban category you have to pick an urban image of course yeah so. no long, i'm all up for that long live the urban yeah, category yeah. in the wildlife talk for the year it's just it's a it's a storytelling thing i mean that's why we choose to do it um, you know, make a feature of the context and show that it's the man-made, because there's such, there's such, there's like a, a real. It's always been the case in wildlife photography to hide the presence of man. Yeah. You know, like even you go on safari, there's 
20 jeeps yeah. around you mm -hmm. but you would never photograph yeah. an image with the jeeps and in. often that's I, a more I, interesting I picture isn't <laughs> yeah. it yeah well that's the thing um something my wife sort of said was that you're editing the story out of the picture yeah by choosing not to include that yeah so like when you go to when you go to like i don't know say the Farne islands and there's all the all this all these seabirds and it's like amazing wildlife spectacle you never see there's there's tons of people on that island sure. and there's man-made walkways where you can walk right over to a shag's nest or whatever rarely do you ever get somebody turn the camera around yeah back on the people yeah and show that model show the real story basically yeah, yeah. and i think sort of by 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 doing the urban photography or whatever you or, or the storytelling photography you're just doing that basically you're you're, you're keeping the story as as important um as as a, an important an element to the picture as the animal is i guess yeah that's brilliant and then i've got two more questions that's all right one is what's next What's next? Yeah, <laughs> what have you got in the pipeline? Well, I've always had like a year. Well, I had a kid a couple of years back, and that sort of. I hope that takes up a bit of time. Yeah, it does, but it also makes you question what you're doing, and More. like um, recently, yeah, I'm not saying you don't do that if you don't have a kid, <laughs> but you think about your life and where you're going and what you want to do, and you're just in, you know, you, you got a bit of time at home with your kid, and you think about these things. Yeah. Um, and you know, like. In the last sort of, I think maybe in the last sort of, like nearly in the last year, I've really started to change the way I think about my photography and what I want to get out of it. And I, I'm, it's made me like think about the early reasons why I wanted to get into it. And it wasn't about getting loads of Facebook likes. It wasn't about being famous. You know, it was about like enjoying myself, taking pictures and telling the stories I wanted to tell or like, you know, creating creating like some cool, something cool, creating like a really nice piece of art or whatever. Um, and I think I, I think I lost track of that a little bit just because, um, particularly in the, with, with social media as it is today, there's so much, so much sort of like, you have to maintain a presence. So I've tried to take a step back from it because I find that by doing that, like, um, you're almost like too worried about what other people are doing. I never used to think about that. I never used to care what other people are doing. I do my own thing. But you know, you, you know, everyone's got an opinion on social media, and and people, are you feel like people are expecting something from you, something like that. So like, you know, I've actively not been that um, active in. But I think like you know, I've always been a very slow. And it's another one of those terms like slow journalism and stuff like that. I've been a slow photographer right. my whole life and I've been a slow sort of artist, I guess. So it takes me some time to think about what I want to shoot and how I'm going to shoot it. And, and it has to be quite a naturally occurring thing. Like for the last year, um, me and my wife have just like got a, which I showed you it yesterday, got a van. Yeah. Um, converted. Sam's got this great van. Yeah. This yeah, mobile studio. Yeah. So I'm hoping to use that for photography, but like we, we got it ready, but we just wanted to enjoy it. So we've been spending a lot of time in the last year just going away and that and actually shooting some pictures of like landscapes and, you know, that sort of thing. Nice. And doing a bit of research, um, looking around like... The places you know, that you might want to... Yeah, yeah, come projects. back to and do yeah, a proper project. Lovely. So like finding finding some good little stories. Um, but I mean, I have got something that is local urban wildlife um, coming up 
that I'm intending to shoot, but I don't really want to discuss it. That's totally because, fine. Because we'll keep, keep people oh, yeah, you know, all interested. I, all I can say is it's something very commonplace uh, as usual. But Great. like, I've just got an idea about how I want to shoot it um, and it's a little bit different. And I'm not doing it just because it's different. Sure. It's the thing. Like you often hear from photographers, oh, I can't think of what to shoot. I need to find something nobody else has done or whatever. Yeah. Um, it's not necessarily something I'm doing because it hasn't been done, but I just think it will look really cool um, as a set of images. Have you actually taken any pictures yet? No, no. Okay, well, this is this is the great bit because I love this, you know, when you have these yeah. images and stories in your head. Yeah. No, um, I haven't gone out the... once. I don't even know. If, like, <laughs> the, 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 I've been I've been and recce the location a yeah. bunch of times. I've just been... What I do is I just go and stand there and watch, yeah. basically. Watch what happens. Watch how the, these these animals behave around people sure. and what they get up to and sure. when they're there. And, um, you know, think about, like, the angles of where I want to, like, shoot them from and what I want to include in the background and yeah. that sort of stuff. You sound so. like a real pedant for detail and you kind of have to be, I think, yeah, so, you know, for so example, been, with the fox I've, picture, that's, you know, there's so much effort that's gone into that and I'm sure you had that picture yeah. in your mind and you said okay maybe you could have done it a bit better yeah, that's the yeah. beauty of doing yeah. this job isn't it is that it's often the unexpected yeah yeah you might not get it how it is in your head but actually this other way it'd be really up. good if it was in the one in my head that I could get. <laughs> um but yeah no you're right you have to work with um what you've got in front of you and sometimes yeah. what you've got in your head doesn't work um and yeah but yeah sometimes there are happy accidents um, that, that serendipity when when you st- like when I saw the fox walking up that thing I was like actually this is a better shot sure. sort of thing yeah. that wouldn't have been in my head you yeah. know? Um, but also if you hadn't put the time in that wouldn't have, yeah. you wouldn't have no, given yourself right. that opportunity right. yeah um, but it's, 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 it's for me it's more fun to work that way and to be a slower photographer um, not just thinking oh I've got to get out I've got to shoot I've got to do this I've got to maintain this profile yeah. um, you know I've got to I've got to be prolific I've got to you know I've got to do everything but like only put half my effort into it yeah you know? yeah sure that's great actually I should also use this opportunity for you to make a plug of your new workshops <laughs> because I've got that uh, well I read read about them on your on your website yeah so I've not even like done a tweet or a Facebook post <laughs> or anything but I but I but I I've been asked n- numerous times over the years about doing workshops yeah and I guess I've always felt like what do I have to offer uh-huh. and um, one of the ideas of getting the van I guess was um, I'm a sort of a doorstep wildlife photographer, so it was like being able to take my doorstep with me, if you like. Brilliant, yeah. So, 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 so I can go to a location and I can stay there for some time and I can get to know it rather than just go there, shoot, go home, sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so, 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 but once, once I had this van, I just it made me think actually, like, I can now literally go anywhere and um, you know set up for a few days and invite people to to a location that I know or or whatever or that I can go and spend a bit of time at and um you know the the one of the one of the most important things about learning is um is reviewing reviewing your pictures and you'll be able to do that in yeah the van. yeah so so yeah so the idea of the van is um so at the end of the day when we we've been out shooting for the day you don't just go home and that's it see you later sort of thing <laughs> Um, you look at the pictures that you've shot today and you and discuss why this works. And I mean, Great. the thing is, like, well, I've, I've got a lot of experience in, firstly, from my photographic 
background of working in you know advertising photography and all that sort of thing what image what images work yeah. which ones don't um but also my wife is a um art editor on magazines she works for all kinds of magazines so i'm always discussing her yeah. with her my pictures and 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 we're thinking about how to turn them into a feature or, or or how to tell a story or whatever and and you know part of the you know i've 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 not like won tons of competitions. Um, I've, I've, you know, I've won categories and things like that. Um, but I've placed in competitions like a lot, basically. I, I don't know how many images I've had in the British Wildlife Photographer of the Year, but it's like probably, you know, in the 30s or 40s, I imagine. So like, you know, I do have a good idea of what works and, you know, what does well in a competition, what does well editorially. And um, some photographers don't have that skill. And I think it's good to be able to um, explain to people, like, you know, why this image might work in this um, circumstance. So, yeah, basically, um, um, yeah, I think I think I think I just felt like I, I was in a position now to offer something a bit different, which yeah. was workshops on location, but with a chance to, like, um, talk about what the next step is yeah. basically with your image and where what you want to do with it um you can just hang it on your wall yeah fine but um if you want to like get your foot in the door you you know sometimes it's quite difficult to know how to do it absolutely until you've got a bit of experience yeah and it sounds great that you know this is a kind of you know you've, there's there's so much opportunity now for photographers to I mean, yeah. I don't know a photographer that doesn't make part of their living out of running workshops. Yeah. Well, I don't I've, know I've any never... photographers that run them out of a van. That's, <laughs> that's going to be a good USP. But, yeah. I mean, I've never, I've never, I've worked, I've done workshops, but it's like, same with talks. Mm -hmm. Like, when I've been asked, when my arm has really been twisted, I've done a workshop, I've done a talk or whatever, um, and, you know, I've got experience of doing workshops with, like, bunches of people, but... Um, I've never, I just never really thought about doing them myself as a thing. And it wasn't necessarily because I had a, I, I, I want to be a doer, not a teacher, you know, sure. like it's just, I didn't, I didn't have that thing that I thought was, um, you know, unique, I guess. And something that I could offer that was different. But yeah. now, I mean, like, it just makes me think about all the places I've been, like some of the seabird colonies up sure. in Scotland or whatever. I could just go there for a week and like, you know, live out the van and like have, people come and you know wherever sounds I great. am basically sounds so. great so yeah it's, it's, it's just the start I'm going to see how it goes yeah. basically I've got a couple of things booked but um, but yeah I'll, I'll maybe I'll get back on Twitter or Facebook one day and <laughs> maybe promote, promote you already you already sound exhausted about it <laughs> yeah 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 no I, I like the doing I just don't like the the rest the you know you know it as a wildlife photographer every wildlife photographer knows it that 80% of your time spent in the office or whatever yeah. trying to make those connections yeah. or process your pictures so so yeah like that's when I think about the, the marketing side of things it's like it's not as much fun no. obviously as the getting out there no of course not of course not <laughs> Sam thanks so much you've You're welcome. Uh, well, gone over an hour yeah, that's and um, you've got you've actually got a talk tonight, haven't you? Yeah, I've got to I've got to go up to Bristol Zoo, Bristol do a Zoo. talk for the Avon Gorge and Wildlife and Downs or something like that. <laughs> Avon Gorge and Downs Wildlife Project, but they've got a learning centre at the zoo, and apparently it's sold out. Which full um, house? Yeah, yeah, it's quite unusual for me actually. And you, yeah, you're sitting here talking to me, so 
Yeah, I'm yeah. Sure you've got a bit of prep to do, but thanks so much. It's, <laughs> it's been, oh, no, it's all, been it's all fascinating. Good. Really, really thanks, good man. talking to you. And um, yeah, I, I feel like we've hardly scratched the surface. But I, I can I can literally talk for <laughs> days on this stuff. Um, no, it's great. It's really good yeah. to hear your passion and certainly the you know the effort that you put into your pictures. I really love hearing those kind of stories. And well, the thing is, we'll get you back. Yeah, yeah. Part yeah, two. Exactly. Part two. <laughs> all the best. Cheers. Well, I think we should do part two sooner rather than later. That was fascinating stuff. And you can really hear Sam's passion for his subject and spending so much time in the field. Shows a great work ethic and also downright belligerence to achieve the images he has in his head. I also love his approach to documenting wildlife on your doorstep. It's something that I'm really passionate about too. And the temptation for many photographers is to travel to exotic locations in order to get great photographs when so often those great images are right here in your own neighbourhood. So to find out more about Sam, you can visit his website at www.samhobson.com. There you will also find the incredible fox image in front of the suspension bridge in Bristol photo that we talked about. There's also information about his new and quite unique sounding photography workshops that he started up. So check it out and um, I'm sure it'll be quite a fascinating learning experience to go on one. Um, you can also catch up on behind the scenes images and stories at Sam Hobson Photo on Instagram and Twitter to find out more about me. If you haven't listened to this through my website, you can visit matthewmoran.com. That's M-A-R-A-N. If you have, you can share and subscribe it on iTunes. Um, that would be great. And also if you can leave a review. Um, as it grows and builds, it would be really appreciated. I also have a blog, which I try and stay active on. One of the good things about having a blog is accountability. You know, you need to almost show yourself what you're up to and constantly producing new content, which is something that I'm trying to do more of, getting out and photographing and not spending too much time in front of a computer. Um, and speaking of getting out, if you'd like to come on a workshop with me, you can visit the workshops page on my website. And um, we now have availability from July onwards. So it's filling up since the last podcast. And if social media is your thing, you can check me out at Matt Moran Photo for both Twitter and Instagram. And Facebook is forward slash Matthew Moran Photography. Until the next podcast. Thanks again for listening. It's been a lot of fun and hope to see you again soon.